Hello, this is Joe Quinones, the artist of the Batman 89 comic book. And this is Andy Curry, one of the editors of the Batman 89 comic book. And you're listening and to you're superhero listening stuff. To superhero stuff you should know. Did that work? You should know. <laughs> 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 Welcome once again to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, or as we are 70% of the time, Batman 89 Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> this has been the man who knows too much about Batman 89, but not as much as Sam Hamm, or not as much about the comic as these gentlemen joining us. And with me, as usual, is... Andrew Scorpion Robin. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yes. <laughs> and there has been a resurgence, a resurrection in the fandom for the Burtonverse Batman presented in the 1989 Batman film and Batman Returns. Part of that is Keaton's return to the role in the upcoming Flash movie, but a lot of it from our side has been because of the Batman 89 comic series. We've done a whole video essay on it, a six-issue series written written by Sam Hamm, the screenwriter of the original film, so check out our interview with him uh, if you haven't already. But Sam was not alone in this series. In fact, the idea itself came from one of the gentlemen joining us here today, Two of the major other members of the team are with us to talk about this comic specifically, and that is artist Joe Quinones and editor Andy Corey. Joe and Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I wish I knew that uh, our names were going to be visible on, on the screen. I, I feel like I would <laughs> well, have made a little pun or something. Oh, you, know? can you can still, still do, do it. it. You can, yeah. Yeah. Joe, Joe <laughs> quick, quick action, I don't know, 89 Quinones, I don't know. Kung Fu. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For prosperity, know, Andrew that's, that's is we'll, is uh, is Scorpion a family name? <laughs> yes, it's my Christian name. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. Come on. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So, uh, first off, if these gentlemen look slightly familiar to you guys watching who have read the comic, that's because they're actually both in the comic. So, as I'm bringing this up. Uh, Andy is in issue four as the cop and glasses on the right. And uh, Joe is the delivery man for Barbara in issue six. So uh, you guys are part of the Burton verse, you know, thanks to Joe's <laughs> Easter eggs. In That's here. right. So, uh, the cop awesome. with glasses is a pretty good, is a pretty good description of editing, I think. Right. <laughs> Actually, I, uh, I own, I own that page that you showed that has me on it. It was a gift from I Joe and it also features. It also features Sam and uh, my co-editor uh, on Batman 89, uh, Andrew Marina, who couldn't be with us tonight. Uh, I yeah, don't mean he's Andrew. dead. He just, could, just couldn't be. He's alive. He's fine. He was taken, he was taken he's doing by fine. He's great. Yeah, uh, that's him there. That's, yeah, yeah, that's like, Andrew there the in yeah, the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm cool. surrounded by Andrews. Uh, yeah, for me, I, I hadn't I hadn't planned on cameoing myself, but um, that, that, that was the last issue, and I was just working against the clock to get uh, pages in. And I just took a reference photo for that. And I was like, eh, whatever, it's me. It's me now. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have enough brain capacity to make this a character. So it's just me where I go. I mean, you put <laughs> right. so many a in GPS here. Hat. I was like, you earned putting yourself in this. Just the amount of Easter <laughs> eggs that are in this. And there's a bunch, there's a few that I know I did not point out in those videos that we'll go over when I caught them later in the in like the third or fourth reread. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, like, of course, like, this is a natural thing. You should put yourself in there after all the hard yeah, work. Yeah, that's cool. So, 
uh yeah it's uh, thank you. Thank it's you a so tradition much. in uh i'm sorry to interrupt uh it's no, kind no. of a tradition in comics in superhero comics anyway for uh you know the writer and editors and other people on the team to be drawn in especially when it's a very close collaboration and a mm-hmm. great camaraderie with everybody and that was the case with this for sure yeah so, literally just just today uh Chip Zdarsky, like a, a former collaborator of mine, so mm-hmm. comics writer, uh, was just uh, just posting and tagging me and Erica Henderson in uh, and Ryan North, who are surrogate versions of the three of us appeared in our run of uh, Howard the Duck. So oh. there's like this there's this whole meta narrative of these uh, architects of the Marvel universe that uh, exist uh, outside of the reality of the of that that universe and are, are pulling the strings. And it was like an alien version of me, an alien version of Chip, an alien version of Erica and Ryan North. And yeah, you can see that on my Twitter, awesome. guys, if you look it up. We'll check that That's out. That's cool. We'll, we'll probably add the link to uh, that tweet in the show notes. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. We'll check that out afterwards. But uh, yeah, cool. we'll we'll get on with the uh, questions. Sounds okay. Good. So first one for Andy. Uh, for those who might not be familiar, could you talk a bit on what a comics editor does and your role in editing the Batman 89 comic? Yeah. So for people who don't know what editing a comic is, it's in other industries, it would probably be like a producer or a creative director, possibly project lead. Basically, the editor at DC is the person who uh, or persons who is uh, over assembles the team, sort of helps define the creative direction of the project, oversees everything to make sure it's like a high standard of quality. Uh, if you can imagine sort of a, a a television production, you have or like maybe like a writer's room, that's also an artist's room and a colorist's room, and the and the the editor might be the showrunner in terms of just making sure everything happens. It doesn't mean that editor makes all the creative decisions by any means. But it does. You are sort of there to to, I guess, more like the coach. Mm-hmm. I don't watch sports, but you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're in good company. Yeah, and uh, and it also just you know also just depends on the nature of each team. Every project is different. Every every uh, collaboration is different. Um, Andrew and I um, were were. Uh, well, I'll start at the beginning. Basically. Um, what happened, I, ver- I remember it very vividly, during the pandemic, we had a sort of all hands meeting with editorial and Jim Lee, and he was mentioning things that we could start doing uh, as, as projects. And one thing he threw out there was, you know, uh, why don't we do something with the, the Michael Keaton, Batman, Tim Burton, Batman thing? I mean, that seems to be something people like. And that sort of just was, revelatory because for years and decades dc editors have been trying to do something with this and Mm. there just hasn't really been any appetite for it in management or there might have been some politics with the studio or for for whatever like all really mundane boring non-dramatic reasons that just never happened but you know uh jim just said that and uh I had this incredible panic because I knew I was not assigned to the group that would be doing that comic. 
the way things worked at DC editorial at that time, this would be 2020, I think, mm -hmm. um, the early pandemic, um, everyone had, was in a different editorial group that had different responsibilities and you didn't really cross the streams. Uh, so the first thing I did was uh, write an email to Marie Javins, who at the time was heading the group that handled all the media tie-ins, because that's what Batman 89 technically is. It's a media tie-in, like Batman 66 or uh, Injustice or any of these sort of uh, things that originate outside of the proper sort of DC line, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wrote her a letter and I said how much, you know, that movie meant to me and how it set me on this path that led to me becoming a DC editor. Uh, we could talk about that more later if you guys really want to. And uh, I, sent, I sent her all that Comics Alliance stuff that I had edited about the Batman 89 25th anniversary that's have used mm -hmm. in your show that's before. And I just said, if there's any way that we can sort of break from protocol and I could be involved in this somehow, uh, I would love it. And she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about because she didn't even like register. It didn't even like register. Like this, this sort of errant, this sort of errant remark that Jim had made was like, you know, she, I seized on it because I'm just such a like, you know, just so obsessed with this thing. And of course, to her, it was just one in a million little things that got mentioned in beating. Mm -hmm. So she's like, uh, okay, um, well, I'll, let me get back to you. Andrew Marino, who is in her group, very graciously offered, if it was okay with my boss, to bring me on as a co-editor and we'd be partners on this. Uh -huh. And uh, and I was like, that's so cool, you know, because you didn't have to do it. You know, you mm -hmm. could have, this is a, I mean, this is a, to, to people like me and Andrew, like this is like a really great, great project. And he did have to share the sort of, uh, you know, the glory, but he did and it was great. And we, uh, you know, the first decision we made was we wanted Joe involved because we were, we, mm. I've known Joe, I think, off and on for over 10 years, just through the scene, you know, and mutual yeah. friends and things like that. I'm very aware of his affection for this thing, but also his <laughs> tremendous skills as an artist. Uh, mm. I've seen him, you know, I've seen him go from project to project and becoming more versatile and confident and just showing just tremendous thoughtfulness in his work going all the way back to, I think it was Wednesday comics. And, uh, so we were just, and I'd work with Joe on, um, dial H for hero and also, uh, his Harley Quinn, black, white, and red story which I think was the first story he's written for DC. And yeah. um, so, you know, we had a relationship already and it, there was literally no one else we even considered to draw the book. It was, sure. we just, we knew, we knew it was going to be Joe. That was the first decision we made. And then mm -hmm. uh, before we started talking about writers and things like that, we decided and we agreed on everything. We were, Andrew and I were very simpatico. Like we knew that we wanted to treat whatever this was gonna be like a prestige graphic novel that would one day be like a perennial bestseller, like so many DC graphic novels you could think of, you know? 
Like we didn't want to treat it as sort of a disposable, uh, cute kind of thing. Like we wanted it to be like feel to fans of this world and these films feel like a worthy companion piece to those. So we knew that whatever it was going to be would have to have like a big dramatic arc mm-hmm. that was worthy of that. And also that we were going to, we had to, we had to follow up on the promise of those original films with respect to uh, their versions of Harvey Dent. And, um, but also not limit ourselves to characters that existed at the time those were made. For mm-hmm. example, uh, we, we, we wanted to take advantage of all the sort of developments in DC mythology that have happened since then, you know, for example, if we wanted to use Harley Quinn, we could. Right. That was like something we allowed, even though Harley Quinn did not exist when those things were created. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we were not we were not going to sort of slave ourselves to, uh, you know, the fidelity of the time period to that degree. But we were mm-hmm. going to try to do everything we could to make this feel part of a whole, like a, a third film in a trilogy, if you will. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so a lot of study took place in terms of watching the films and analyzing them and things like that, just so we could make sure we were on the same page and that, because it, it, it just seemed like, a, and we also had the luxury of time. There was not, at that stage anyway, mm-hmm. there, wasn't, there wasn't like a, a train we had to keep up with. I mean, we sort of knew that the Flash movie was going to happen, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, as it turned out, we we lapped that by quite a ways. Uh, so that and, uh, one thing did not have to do with the other, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, so those are sort of the early discussions, was like what, sort of philosophical mm-hmm. questions. What is this? What do mm-hmm. people actually want from it? And what don't they want from it? Um, and we used ourselves and, and Joe as the sort of baseline for that, because we figured mm-hmm. there are, if there's like, there's like, if there's a hundred all-time biggest fans of this thing we're three mm-hmm. of them you know mm-hmm. so and that, that definitely um, shows yeah it definitely shows in the comic. Yeah. uh so joe, uh, I know. that's how it started yeah <laughs> awesome uh joe i know a lot of this also starts with you as i brought up you know a lot of this was uh you know we have your blog post which had your art from the time that you did this pitch for Batman right. 89, some of which is stuff that made it into the comic and some of it has stuff that we kind of saw or kind of didn't haven't seen yet. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the process of that pitch. I know that you mentioned in that blog post that uh, Kate Leth was your collaborator as a potential writer for mm-hmm. that. And uh, as we're showing the slides here, we have a different, a little bit more of a traditional looking Barbara Gordon uh, among the art that we still have the return of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman as well as Billy D. Williams being transformed into Two-Face and Marlon Wayans being uh, the mechanic version of Robin. We have a Gina Davis-inspired-looking Poison Ivy, a more traditional-looking, uh, well, a very interesting-looking uh, Batgirl uh, as well, and uh, Harley Quinn, as Andy mentioned. Um, so, yeah, tell us the story about this uh, original pitch. Um, so that that was, uh, I believe, 2015, um, and I, I was... Um... I was working largely for Marvel at the time, but I, I, uh, I've always been a DC guy. I kind of, I, I grew up on Superman and Batman. 
um, and like religiously read uh, the, the Superman comics of the 90s. Um, and then was a huge fan of the 89 movie and then following that the animated series. Um, but uh, I, I was working on and off for DC. So um, I, I got my start there, um, first working for Teen Titans and then uh, Wednesday Comics uh, after that. Um, and then I would do like, you know, odd covers here and there, uh, little short stories. And I, and I started doing, um, I did a, a couple of stories for their Batman 66 uh, title. Um, and, uh, you know, I had some association with that, that show, which I think a lot of people, um, you know, my age and, 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 uh, and, uh, and older, you know, either grew up with the show uh, as it was on or, or saw it in reruns. Um, and so I, yeah, so I had some connection with it and I thought it'd be fun to work on it. And I, so I did, uh, uh, part of I, what I found to be what was so interesting and fun about it is that, you know, it's continuing the world that was established on this, this, you know, bygone, uh, mm -hmm. TV show. Um, but it's folding in all of this extra lore and, and things that, that, uh, that weren't established until you know decades later, mm -hmm. uh, as though that they were as though they were always part of the show, and that they unfolded within the the regular timeline of events in you know the late '60s. Um, so, in the two issues that I did, we saw the introduction of you know Dr. Harleen Quinzel, mm -hmm. but it was you know the the 1966 version of that. Um, and I, I just, I was so smitten with that, uh, that concept. I, I was really taken by it. So um, I remember I was talking back and forth with my editor on, on that book, uh, Jim Chadwick. And, you know, he's great. He's, he's at DC there uh, still now. Um, and uh, we were throwing around ideas of me coming back and doing um, uh, some one shots, uh, as, as a follow-up in the Batman 66 world. We talked about doing a Batgirl story for a while and and it just, it didn't quite work out, but um, I remember just kind of uh, thinking about it and I was spitballing with my friend, um, Jordan Gibson, who's, uh, he's, um, we've collaborated several times. Uh, he, he's often my colorist, but he's also a comic artist in his own right. He did some of the Batman, uh, the Adventures Continue uh, mm. uh, issues uh, recently in the past year or so. Um, but, um, yeah, we're, so we were talking back and forth and I was like, wouldn't it be so cool if they did a Batman 89 book in the, in the tradition of, uh, of Batman 66, the same sort of concept, just sort of what comes next following in the world that was already established. And, um, and Jordan was like, well, that's, I think that's you dummy. Why don't, why don't you, that? <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, oh, oh yeah, okay, hey, maybe. So, um, so that led to me just out of the blue writing Jim and asking him if he'd be up for me putting together a pitch. And he said, I guess, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and so I did, I kind of just like, it was just a kind of a wild pitch. And I, I, I knew it was a long shot of it ever happening at all. Um, but I was so passionate about it. I just wanted to like get the idea out there. And uh, Kate was writing comics regularly at the time, so I asked her if she would she would want to help out. And she, I know she was a big fan of Batman Returns, um, and so we decided to pair up for that initial that initial pitch. But um, 
I didn't really believe it would happen. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I kind of threw everything out there, uh, you know, from just, just that I, things that I always dreamt about happening in, in future movies that never happened and the rumors mm. that I'd heard about. Uh, so things like, you know, the kid showing up on Batman Returns and being a mechanic and mm -hmm. it supposedly be, supposedly being Marlon Wayans. And then, you know, you know, carrying the thought exercise past that of like, what other Batman characters, what other Batman lore could we fold into a sequel movie? Mm. And, and, you know, who might, who might we cast as those characters? Like what actors that would make sense within the time frame of like, you know, the mid to late nineties, who, who could you then cast as, as Harley Quinn, as Barbara Gordon, as Poison Ivy? Um, and and the the idea conceptually for me was that that it would be um, basically in the in the tradition of the the uh, the comic book adaptations of the first two movies. So this would mm. be so we had the the Denny O'Neill uh, Jerry Ordway you know original eighty nine adaptation and then the uh, Jose uh, Luis, Luis Garcia Lopez you know version mm. for Batman Returns. And so then this would be the Joe Quinones adaptation of the alternate universe third movie mm -hmm. that happened, you know. Um, so that was the main concept and, and I put it out there and, and um, the, you know, DC powers would be that were like, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll get back to you in five years. <laughs> and, and that was fine. And I, and I just, you know, I was like, well, uh, I asked my editors, like, is it okay to, to show any of this stuff? I feel like it'd be fun mm -hmm. to share. And, and, and so that's how it ended up online. Mm -hmm. And then I, I just didn't leave the idea alone for, for years afterward and was always like posting little drawings and stuff. So, mm. um, thankfully I, I inceptioned my way into, to Andy, <laughs> into Andy and Andrew's brains to be like, I, me, me, I'm the guy. Hacked into their dreams. <laughs> we have to go uh, deeper. But yeah, I remember I, well, yeah, the pandemic was in full force and I remember, uh, uh, Andy and I were working on, I believe, the Harley uh, story at the time, and then, and then you also email me out of the blue to be like, "Hey, no promises. Uh, we were talking about this might happen. What do you think? Are you still interested?" And I was like, "Yes, yes." I just like, <laughs> lunged at my computer, you know, reply send, and uh, and yeah. yeah, thankfully happened. That's right, exactly. because. Um... Another process of making comics at DC, at least at the time, um, was once you had a project sort of like conceptualized and you had people attached to do it, you had to sort of, you had to get a final sort of green light for it. And, mm. you know, sometimes you don't get it for whatever reason. It's not because the comic is bad or whatever. It could just be, you know, we don't see that, we don't think this will make money or somebody else right. in some other division is doing something with this or whatever. There could be like a million reasons. So that's why I, I do remember that now that Joe mentioned it saying, I don't want you to get too excited about this because this might mm. not be a thing, you know, mm. but, uh, but oh, fortunately I, did, I it did kept tempering it. it. <laughs> is yes. there, is there like a board of directors or is it just Jim Lee on a golden throne? <laughs> this, we the... shall make this. Like, <laughs> uh, well, at, at the at the, the time, um, the green light involved uh, 
sort of what we call buy-in from the heads of different departments like marketing and sales and also of course jim and uh the other group editors like because you know you want to hear people's opinions and things like that and there's also um at the time i don't know if he's still there but but dc had a guy who um was extremely adept at projections financial projections mm, he and his team okay. and i've i've uh I've seen them come within dozens of copies, like in terms of projecting, like just because oh, wow. they know the market, they can comp like a real estate agent will comp prices based on other sales in the area and sales like these houses or whatever. You can do that with comics. So mm. often fans are often fans are frustrated that they don't see their favorite character, often an obscure character being spotlighted in, in some kind of miniseries or, or something like that. And it's usually because, uh, not because people at the company don't like that character, but usually it's because you can see it's not gonna, it's not gonna be uh, a moneymaker and not just a huge moneymaker, but like it might just, it might lose money. Like they're, they're very, very mm -hmm. good. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not because uh, someone's trying to keep someone down or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, there's a million things that can sort of go wrong for you in, in the green light meeting that have nothing to do with the quality of the book. But luckily, mm -hmm. you know, there was actually um, the feedback that I got at the time was that there is a they think there's a tremendous appetite for this. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed like a, a wise thing to do if the studio was, you know, exploring this territory again with Michael Keaton. Um, wise in the sense that, you know, no one's going to have a problem with this. It makes sense to do something with this, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. Because mm -hmm. uh, occasionally you might hear, DC is pretty autonomous, but sometimes you'll hear like, oh, we can't do something with this character because so and some, some filmmaker is doing something and right. we have to you know, it, it happens here, here and there. Mm. Uh, luckily, that didn't happen this time. In fact, I didn't, maybe Andrew did, but I never, I was not made aware at any point of any notes or feedback or anything having to do with this, which was surprising. Um, mm. Maybe you did, Joe, when I, after I left, but I, uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. It, if if so, Andrew protected me from it. I didn't hear it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, just to follow up on that sort of sales concept, um, my understanding, and I don't have the numbers because I'm not there anymore, but my understanding is that the the not only were the individual issues extremely successful, the, the hardcover has been selling massively. So uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, awesome. those, those, those people, the green light, you know, they often, they often know what they're doing. Um, so it's, uh, and I'm not surprised. Like I knew, mm -hmm. I knew that there was an appetite for this in, in the fan base. And, uh, you know, you can also imagine, you know, that cover in a bookstore or on Amazon mm -hmm. just says like, buy me, like buy the shit yeah. out of me. You know, <laughs> you want so, it on the shelf right next to the, you know, O'Neill and Ordway 89, as well as the, you know, Jorge, you know, the Luis Garcia, uh, I sorry, Garcia Lopez um, 
uh, adaptation for Batman Returns. Like you want that like right next to each other. And then of course we have this fantastic. For those who don't already have this among our audience, I don't know why you wouldn't. But uh, we have a fantastic VHS so much. type of thing. <laughs> My light is fucking with so, uh, the lighting, but you'll just have to pick it up yourself to see this in its full glory. That that's uh, is an Andrew Marino idea. The uh, yeah. he uh, he told me about that. And I was so jealous. I was actually like angry. I was. <laughs> I was like, that's the first so clever, and I never would have thought of it myself ever, ever. The first first <laughs> couple would... pages have uh, Daffy Duck telling you to get your baseball cap. Yes, <laughs> that'd be the full Not experience. Quite. Yes, I, I, I also like for me personally, I did have like I obviously like like all of us here. Like I had Batman '89 on VHS, except I had worn the cover down so much that like I didn't grow up with that cover uh, at all. It was it was ruined, and so we put it in its own clear plastic. <laughs> cassette tape so <laughs> to me the cover of batman 89 was not the symbol that's on the poster the cover of batman 89 the movie was the same just tape that literally the same, same exact same exact scenario for me, yeah. <laughs> really just like, wow. yeah just like in a tdk sleeve yeah. or whatever like, yeah, yeah. Right. So to me like oh that's that's the cover of the movie none of this other poster <laughs> stuff that you know is, people actually designed and and you know put a lot of effort in like no this this random thing is just the the title but that's that's what I grew up with. So when I saw that that was it, even though I'd already you know got the the issues through comicsology and stuff, I'm like I, I definitely want a hardcover. But I didn't realize that was also going to be part of the hardcover. So that's just going to be a bonus for me when I get this. So uh, yeah, fantastic idea. You know, please send to Andrew Marino uh, <laughs> our praise on that. Um, go uh, ahead, Andrew. Yeah. So um, did you? DM Sam Ham to recruit him for the writing. How did that? How that happen? I I did actually. Yeah, yeah that was Twitter. Twitter. That was Joe. Yeah, yeah, that was me. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we well we were <laughs> once we got to the point where where Andy had emailed me. He was like, okay, I think probably definitely we're gonna do it. Uh, you're gonna draw it. Who who should write it? And, and that was a big question for a while. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and we threw around a few ideas. Um, don't mention uh, any names, we, Joe. Oh, should I not say? Oh, don't, <laughs> well, don't say, don't say the names of anyone that we might've talked about, which is cause I just don't want that like out there and stealing Sam's thunder That's or fair. anything like that. That's yeah. fair. It was That's always fair. Sam Ham. Yes. Day one. <laughs> Day well, I, I, I think part of the reason that we, we just thought it would, or at least I thought it was impossible that we could could ever get uh, Sam to work on it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So after a while, we did, we're, we had kind of exhausted some options. I, uh, and we, we talked about maybe me writing it, um, but I, you know, I'd never written anything. So I'd only written one, one issue or one uh, eight page story before it was like much more ambitious to do like a six issue arc. So sure. that was very daunting to me. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so out of the, you know, eventually I, I thought, uh, what's Sam Ham up to? <laughs> Let me see, is <laughs> Sam, is Sam Ham on Twitter? And, and, uh, and he was, and, and mm -hmm. I followed him and he followed me back and I was like, why did that happen? And uh, <laughs> and he and he and he messaged me and he and he and he was very nice. And he's like, I really enjoy your work. Um, 
I'm Sam Ham. I was like, hello, Sam Ham. I know exactly who you are. You're amazing. I love you. Um, and and then I I asked if he had uh, ever considered work coming back to comics and would he ever be interested in working with me on something? And he said, yes. And so uh, then I, I believe fr from there, I wrote you, Andy, and I mentioned uh, the, that his interest and then, uh, and, and kind of, you know, pass the football over to you to, to talk to him and, and, and sell him the, on the idea of writing it. That's right. So Joe, Joe established a relationship with Sam and um, it was one of those things where it was like, Andrew and I looked at each other, you know, through Zoom and we mm. were like, this is so obvious. It's stupid. <laughs> like we didn't even, mm. we didn't even think of this. Like, cause Sam is not known as like a, uh, you know, a guy who writes a lot of comics. He has written comics. He was mm -hmm. active in, in the comics scene in the eighties and, and early nineties. And he knows a lot of people in comics. We've talked about it just, you know, hanging out and, uh, you know, he was he was close uh, when Denny O'Neill was writing was was still you know running the Batman stuff at DC. Uh, he's very close with Dennis Cowan. Um, mm. You know, he's plugged in like he likes comics. He's a comic book guy, but he just doesn't work in our business. You know, as as his mm -hmm. full time thing. So, but we thought, you know, not only is Sam qualified to write this comic book. Because not all people who write screenplays are necessarily, you know, great comic book writers. Right. But he also had the marketing muscle to do it because we could say this is the guy who wrote the original thing, mm -hmm. you know. So it made a lot of sense to us. So we asked, you know, our bosses, like, is it okay if we talk to this guy about this? Because this seems like a really good idea. And sometimes when you work in corporate situations. I mean, any kind of corporate situation. Sometimes mm -hmm. if something feels like a really good idea, you become even like more afraid it's not gonna happen. Because mm -hmm. sometimes right. sometimes right. things that are really good ideas just don't happen. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm, not casting, I, I'm not casting aspersions on DC specifically. It happens just everywhere I've worked, you know, in mm -hmm. media. Sometimes things are just like so perfect. You're like, this is never gonna happen. It's too perfect. So, um, we got permission to talk to Sam. Uh, so I, uh, I got in touch with him through Joe, I think. And I said, can I give you a call? And I called him up I introduced myself. And I said, you know, what, what we're up to. And I said, uh, would you have any interest in coming back and writing a new Batman story based on your original work, a continuation of that version of Batman, a new story, and uh, he just said, really, sort of uh, delightfully, yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's, and I, Sounds and like it was him. so funny yeah. because, because to us, you know, like Sam was probably younger than us now when he mm -hmm. made that movie. But to us, yeah. I saw it when I was nine. Like it has become this sort of, you know, very iconic myth that has sent us all in different interests in our lives and careers. Mm -hmm. But to him, it was just, you know, a gig, you know, I'm sure he loves it. I'm sure he had a great time doing yeah. it and it was career defining. But uh, when you're close to something, 
like that. It just sort of, it doesn't seem so, you know, mythological to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> to him, it was like, sure, I'd like to do that. That's fine. <laughs> Which is so funny because, you know, like I said, at the, like I said at the beginning, when Andrew and I were like, allowed to do this at all we were like so excited and so amped and so sort of precious and but the guy who actually did the real thing was like so chill you know yeah so uh, <laughs> i was excited enough so, when it was announced but when the news was that it was this team whether it was uh sam ham and joe quinones who you know of course we knew from the pitch that your, your blog post about that then it was just like we can't think of anybody more perfect for a team on this type of comic. So I was just, we yeah. were really excited uh, on our end on the show for that uh, when it came out. So that's, it, it's a huge, it's a hell of a get. I will say it's, that, you know, even though we just discussed some other writers, like nothing went as far as it did with, with talking to Sam, like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. we sort of, we, we had some ideas and we we're trying to think of people who might, the audience might get excited about and things like that. But, you know, for whatever, there were all mundane reasons that we didn't go in one direction or the other. There were no big, I don't have any juicy stuff. I just, I just want to make sure, like, there's not this little asterisk like you see on IMDb. Like, so-and-so <laughs> might have been cast in this movie, you know? Comic.com says, like, all these people could have written the Batman 89. Got like, no, please don't. Exactly. <laughs> like, right. this is, this is, right. I mean, I, I eat that stuff up, but I just want, you know, Sam and Joe to sort of... <laughs> To sort of own yeah. this, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's how Sam got involved. It was it was really Joe uh, establishing that relationship, and uh, he was Sam was also very happy that we were not just looking for the unused material, you mm -hmm. know. Right. Um, yeah. We wanted to do something ambitious and create a new story mm -hmm. uh, conceived in 2020. Um, that of course honors and 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 harkens back in as, as much as possible to that original stuff. But we were we were not we didn't think it would be fun or rewarding to just um, to do sort of like an unpublished screenplay oh, as a comic. Yeah, you know, there there are other comics that have done things like that with other media properties that we've all heard of. And none of them really like take off, you know, like none of them become like these, like a big hit where you think it would be, you know, like, I think there there's a, a charm to, to some of these unmade scripts in the fact that like you paint the movie in your head when you read the script. So that when it's in comic form, suddenly, like when I read the comic version of the unmade script, I'm like, that's not really how I envisioned it when I read it. And sometimes it's like, it's best off in that mythological space of just like, oh, like that's kind of how I envisioned this unmade movie to be when reading these scripts that we um, we cover on the show. You know, we, we do provide still, like, images uh, on the YouTube version for people to see, but uh, still, it's just, like, the, the movie that you paint in your head is going to be different compared to the one that, you know, that Andrew reads, that Andy reads, that, that Joe reads, that all, you know, we might all read the same script and have different ideas of that. So I kind of appreciate not having <laughs> the visual sometimes of, say, like, Sam's Batman 2 script that wasn't made uh, and all that, because there's, like there's something about the imagination that really helps with that. Right. I, I, yeah. I think the energy mm -hmm. comes from the invention of it, from, yeah. from making, making something new, even if we're drawing mm -hmm. from, you know, a script or ideas in a script that he wrote previously or Batman stories that were written previously. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's the repackaging. It's the re 
remaking it, reimagining it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, through a new lens. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there were still ideas that Sam was interested in. And it made mm -hmm. sense to pursue some of them here and there in a, you know, this is an over overused word, but organically, like some mm -hmm. of that stuff comes in. Uh, but I'm glad we did it this way because I think people were surprised by the story, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, 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 that's part of going to the movies is, you know, you, especially a, a superhero movie, because very rarely are they strict adaptations of comics you've read. They, they synthesize different ideas and characters and storylines into something new. And, um, and, and I think that's what we were trying to do. Like, like I said, at the very mm -hmm. beginning, we, we conceptualized this and thought about it, like the philosophy of this comic quite a lot, even before mm -hmm. we started breaking the story, you know? Right. I was curious yeah. as well in terms of like, is it already sort of mutually agreed on about what direction to go when it comes to what characters to use for this? Cause it's, it is very much like the, like three of the big things that people kind of have on their Burton verse wish list and a continuation, the return of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, Billy Dee Williams returning to Harvey Dent and becoming Two-Face and then the Marlon Wayans Robin actually being brought to life with the whole mechanic origin. So is that, sort of a thing where like Sam, I know like based off our discussion of Sam, like he's, he's very passionate about Two-Face. He, he loves that character. Is it a case where it's just like, okay, one person wants this, another person wants that. Is it kind of mutually agreed on? Like we're going to definitely go with this Robin and the Two-Face in this story arc. Like how did that kind of come about? This it was pretty organic, I thought. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, one, the hard line things that we knew all coming in is that we wanted Billy D the Billy D. Williams two face. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the main thing. And then and then second to that is that we wanted to do Robin that was sort of sort of inspired by the rumors about Marlon Wayans and the rumors about uh the kid from from the treatment of Batman 2. Mm -hmm. Um and we didn't know quite exactly what it would be, but the, but that was like a, a vague starting point. Mm -hmm. Uh and then third to that was like, well. I love Catwoman. We love. We all love Catwoman. If we can figure out a way to bring her back, let's mm -hmm. do it. That that last shot of Batman Returns is so great. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and, and that's just kind of that was our baseline. I think for all of us coming in, mm -hmm. I, I don't think yeah. any of us were all like, I want. There uh, were no face, you know. Yeah, there were no sort of disagreements at all amongst the team. It was. Mm -hmm. This was probably the most uh close and fun collaboration um i've had on any dc book i've worked on because it we once we were all on board we would have we had like two or three really long zoom calls the four of us the two editors and joe and sam and we just sort of jammed a little bit and someone would have an idea that would inspire someone else's idea and we just sort of bounce the ball back and forth and I remember taking notes in a Google Doc, and um, and also some people sometimes like offline we'd have an idea we'd add it into the Google Doc, and somebody would would have like oh I, I have a better idea for that and put it in, and uh, and all the while we were talking about the world, like a lot of ideas came from the world building too, like trying to reconcile the two Gotham's you see in the two movies. I think it was mm -hmm. Joe's idea that those 
like the sort of Gotham Plaza you see in Batman Returns is sort of just a different part of town, you know? And the right. and the Anton and sure. the, that was like the Bo, the Bo Welch Gotham and the Anton First Gotham was this part of town. Mm-hmm. So we thought like how can we expand this? And that's how we um you know came came upon Burnside and how can we personalize Burnside, maybe two faces from Burnside, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like it all sort of organically rolled out like that. And uh, but there were no disagreements about like who should be in it or what, or everybody was really on the same page. It was just extremely, extremely fun and rewarding and great to talk to everyone about it. Like, and Sam, to you know, his credit, he was not precious at all about this stuff. Like he, oh, yeah. he was, he was very excited by things that that surprised him that some of us would come up with. You know, he he wasn't uh, even though he had every right to, he did not sort of assert any sort of authorial oversight on us. You know, he was a great collaborator. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was mm-hmm. definitely though the driving force of all the Two Face stuff, as I remember, Joe. Like, yeah, he really absolutely. Yeah, Sam Sam yeah. was like he he has to be tragic as hell. Like we have to just do something like, <laughs> just so, so dark with this guy to really, cause I think he felt like this had never really been, I'm, I'm speculating. Cause I just, just based on how much he cared about it. Like, I don't think he has ever been satisfied with like a depiction of two face in cinema, cinema terms, you know? Uh, it didn't seem like that like when how, we talked to yeah. him about that. Yeah. And so he, he had sort of a the fall of Harvey. I don't think he knew exactly beat for beat how, how he was going to do it, but I think that was something he came in knowing, like emotionally, how that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Uh, Sam also, I as I remember, he he was the one who broke uh, Catwoman also, because uh, I I think that we we had pretty organically figured out what to do with Two Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that one was the I think the easiest for us all to figure out mm-hmm. uh, and then a second after that was Robin and then Catwoman I remember we were scratching our heads for a really long time we would we'd be like we'd have these like story sessions where we're like that was great man we are so we're geniuses we're figuring this out this story's gonna be great and then we're like oh, oh but Catwoman Catwoman right 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 yeah we do need her uh, yeah, I, like, like right. when they okay. tried to have him plug Robin into the '89 movie, he's like, "Ah, oh, how are we going to make this work?" All right. You know what? And Sam, I, didn't I, think about I remember that, Sam was like, I "I'm going to." That's how it re- happens. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, Sam was like, "I'm going to rewatch Batman Returns this weekend." Okay, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll figure it out, and and he did. He came to that's us. That's awesome. Uh, our next story meeting, we're like, "That's it. You, that's it. That's exactly it." Fantastic. Um, the yeah. the only big thing that we didn't get in there. And I'm not going to tell you how it was going to happen, but we had a lot of talks about Harley. And Sam told us um, about that, yeah. I mean, I I know he didn't tell you the idea or ideas, but we had mm-hmm. we had a couple things that were I think really cool, and hopefully they'll happen one day. Um, mm, I don't have any. Cool. I don't have any. I'm sure that's one of your questions. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Har- Harley '89. <laughs> I think the most but, uh, intriguing just... thing about that is is like it's a Harley without a Joker, or at least as far as we know. So, uh, oh it's, man, it's an intriguing yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Joker, uh, the Joker is dead. 
Joker's everything, dead. everything, yeah. Joker is yeah. dead. Everything okay. that happened That's in right. those movies happened. Yes. I, I thought it, I always thought it was so funny when the book first came out and people were like, "Where's the Joker? Where's the Joker?" And I yeah, just, did you not see the post, movie? <laughs> I just post yeah. screen screen caps of Jack Nicholson like, <laughs> in, like <laughs> two feet two feet recessed into pavement, just Will Smith memeing like he's right. Oh he's yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. He's very dead. What or are you a coffin about? or an urn. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Although I, I would say that, and then and then I I know uh, I think Sam was talking about his original uh, idea for uh, oh, for yeah. Two Face, which was uh, to which was in a courtroom where mm-hmm. the Joker actually survived his fall. <laughs> yes. And was oh, like man. was you know like uh, in a, in a full cast, body yeah. cast right. and and uh, and. Ex- explodes the courtroom and that's yeah. how Two-Face which is really to give Jack Nicholson millions of dollars to ADR his way into that right movie. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's well, not, he's not even a... in there it's just, it's just a mannequin did they do a, a video game uh, Batman Return of the Joker was the return, yeah like... there was the Return of the Joker video game that was like somewhat tied into the Batman 89 video game so like that's kind of oh. a thing but yes. I don't think they really explained like how did they ever explain how he came back no, I, this back. was this was like a Game Boy game or something, right? It was like they wow. didn't care about story too much in those days. Yeah. I think we were not as obsessive about continuity and and multiverse. You know, these days, especially like when you in a video game, at that when, time when they did bring, not care. Yeah, when you bring someone back, it must these have been days, nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what? <How? laughs> uh, so uh, a lot of fans have noticed kind of the evolution of these characters that you've provided, Joe, in, in these designs. I mean, the uh, the bat suit um, has changed in the the new comic that, you know, I've always brought up, like, haven't you seen these movies? You know that these suits change from like movie to movie. But uh, in, in the comic, you know, right. he now has the retractable lenses. He's got the purple within the cape. And then, um, you know, in terms of the designs of some of the characters who aren't costumed, we now have and Alfred with a mustache. We got Gordon with glasses. We have, you know, the the Alfred and Gordon we grew up with who are a little different, a little bit more comic book traditional. And then we have Bullock in the center who's kind of a love child of Bob Costanzo and uh, Bob Hoskins. Uh, <laughs> did these have... I was curious about how it works with these when it comes to likeness rights. Are these variations due to likeness rights? Do you already have likeness rights? Because... You know, DC's owned by Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers owns the movie. Like, how does this work in terms of um, the resemblance um, of these characters I, to what's in the movie? I, I was I was told that we do not have likeness rights, mm. uh, but I I can come come right up to the edge. I could kind of get as close as I can get away with. Um, but I I was totally okay with that because I I didn't want to be slavish to to uh any one likeness where i'd be you know trying to perfectly capture you know mm-hmm. you know this this person or that um and and instead could you know take advantage of of the language of comics and cartooning and 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 you know take what these actors look like and what these characters look like but but uh you know kind of run them through my the, the filter of my own artistic sensibilities Mm-hmm. And and you know take my own liberties with them, so that they they kind of they they evoke, at least to me the the the, the essence of of the character, for sure. As opposed to this specific actor, you know if if you compare to you know any one drawing of of of, uh, of or Two Face, you know I'm it, it's not an exact likeness of Billy D Williams, 
but I'm trying to evoke Bill D. Williams. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want that same kind of sense of cool and swagger. Um, but, you know, I, I purposely would change, you know, some of the details uh, uh, so that I, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I wouldn't get too caught up in the weeds of capturing a specific likeness. And so I, I, I would mm -hmm. purposely distance away from that and, you know, change hairlines, change, you know, shapes of jaws or shapes of chins or noses so that it's, so that it's my interpretation of the character, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, for sure. And also it's in a way that, uh, you know, there's that word organic again, but it, it feels organic in the sense that like, well, like when Alfred's older, you can see him grow a mustache. When you see Gordon's older, you can see him get glasses. Like it, it makes sense. It's, a, it's also a shout world. out to to the uh, to the sixties version of Alfred. Uh, He's got a very I, Napier. I, I forget mustache. the yeah. yes. What's the actor's name? Alan Napier. Alan Napier. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, it does. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does look like that. And also, kind of makes me wonder, like, oh, like what if they look like that in the actual movies? Like, what if they gave him that mustache in you know in eighty nine and he looked a little bit more traditional? Since we seem to be. Uh, we seem to be lacking in the facial hair department and a lot of the live action Alfreds. Not like it makes a big difference in characterization, but uh, it's something that's funny that I'd noticed as a pattern from like Michael Goff through like Jeremy Irons uh, in a way. So, uh, but yeah, that is that is interesting. I will say, like, even though, as you said, like you did change the, you know, when it came to Billy D, you wanted to get as close as possible to the edge. But man, like when I'm when I'm looking through the comic and, and what you provided for Billy D, it's really easy to hear Billy D's voice. You know, oh, um, from you know both Sam's dialogue and your art of Harvey Dent, it's just it's just very easy to just hear his voice whenever it's his scene for that. So, oh, um, you know, mm -hmm. since you were mentioning the the Billy D one specifically, I wanted to, to let you know that. Uh, but, uh, for, uh, another for cool Batman, thing about oh sorry, okay. another oh, cool thing about <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Joe first. <laughs> then Andy. I was gonna say. Uh, uh... For Batman, yeah, you're you're mentioning uh, doing redesigns for him, and that mm -hmm. that goes back to the original concept of it being a, a sequel. So, mm -hmm. if you go from movie to movie, you know, every new movie production, the good ones anyway, they they're they're trying to to build upon what was done before, but not repeat themselves. And so, you're 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 trying to improve upon yourself. And so, you know, the bat suit changes between Batman and Batman Returns. It just st stood to reason that it would change again for this uh, theoretical third movie. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I always liked uh, the musculature of, of the 89 film. I just I love the, the, the living gargoyle uh, uh, look of it. Um, so I wanted to fold that into what I liked of the Batman Returns suit, which is I love the the silhouette of the cowl like it was mm. like ex extremely sleek and slender um so i wanted to combine those two and then uh overall i was kind of folding in a bit of um of uh influence from batman the, the animated series which came in the wake of the 89 movie and this is mm -hmm. is linked to it um but is also my other my other great batman love so uh, <laughs> i just kind of uh, almost reflexively was was folding in elements of that uh, into all the characters' designs. So that's how you have the, yeah. the counter shading on on Batman's cape of the the, 
a deep purpley blue on the inside. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic fusion of the 89th suit, the return suit, and and the animated series uh, bat suit as well. It's just it's 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 great, and just uh, you know, I totally agree about the musculature as well. And like when you brought that back, I'm like, okay, like this is good. <laughs> uh, Andy, you also wanted to uh, you had something else to join? Yeah, something cool about Joe, you know, doing his own character designs also is, in my opinion, when you see comics that have likenesses of the actors who play the characters on screen, there's something distracting about it. Even if it's a very good cartooning, mm-hmm. if you see it, it, it just sort of feels, uh, it pulls me out a little bit, you know, when I see mm-hmm. like, a, I don't want to say anything or cast aspersions on anyone specifically, but I think if you've, if, if you've seen like comics based on like over the years, there've been, you know, like Star Trek comics or something like that. It just mm-hmm. sort of feels like not quite right. And I think it's because you're so used to seeing these people as flesh in motion in, in you know, uh, 24 frames a second or whatever it is. So not having the likeness rights, I think actually uh, steered Joe into something that I think works better for the comic mm-hmm. than it would be if, if he was drawing you know, these excellent, as good a cartoonist as he is, I think there's sort of an uncanny valley Mm -hmm. with the audience, you know, that we were able to avoid. And Mm -hmm. uh, what Joe mentioned about the animated series is also something that I think we discussed as we were developing the project is when you sort of look at those two movies and, and try to project forward in the narrative and in time and draw, look at all the influences that were in those movies, you do sort of very organically, again, come to Batman the animated series. Like I think mm-hmm. they probably, I think they probably um, went through an exercise like we did, you know, looking at that baseline world and trying to develop on it, you know? And mm-hmm. I think, uh, so that's, I think if there's, if there's uh, overlap aesthetically with that, it's, it's because Joe is smart enough to follow the same clues that they did you know mm. based on the sort of treasure map of the original films for sure for sure uh, also one of the designs here is robin which you know leading into andrew's question i know that's one of his yeah. favorites i do like this one so yeah uh what led going into the what led to going in this direction for the drake winston robin uh let's uh, um yeah. <clears throat> I uh, well, we we talked early on about it, about adapting the the kid. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think what I had known is that uh, there was rumors of a mechanic character uh, showing up in, in in early scripts of the second Batman film, um, and then yeah, as I said before, you know, we knew about the Marlon uh, Wayans uh, uh, casting um, or initial casting. And um, and that I had folded into the artwork for the initial pitch. So, mm-hmm. you know, all the all I had done really was was just I have a, had a drawing of um, basically Marlon Wayans in, in like a, a mechanics uh, you know, from like grease jockey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of cleaning his hands with the, the oil in his hand, and he has an an R emblem on on the uh, on the jumpsuit. 
um, my thinking was that the R is for whatever the name of the auto body shop is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't put any more thought into it past that, but, but, uh, looking to designing Robin for, for the book, um, we, uh, I remember we had early, uh, uh, story breaking talks where we were like, you know, do we want it to be uh dick grayson do you want to be tim drake um mm -hmm. and um i i we settled pretty early on uh that it should be none of them and that instead we should sort of trailblaze our own version and and kind of uh cherry pick the the pieces of backstory or the personality uh uh types or eccentricities uh, that we like from from the robins that that uh, from various robins to compress into this this new version, um, because I, I I don't know I wasn't pre uh, particularly sure that any one of them worked perfectly within the world uh, that that uh, that uh, Tim Burton had established, mm -hmm. um, and and I I found it at least personally I found it freeing to not be weighted down by that. Uh, we were able to I think then create a Robin that that could fully exist in this world where we weren't just trying to, um, you know, insert, uh, you know, Bruce uh, Wayne goes to the circus after, randomly yeah, exactly. in issue two. Exactly. <laughs> and you have to draw a million people in the, in the background. <laughs> that was the main thing. I, I didn't want to do any crowd scenes. <laughs> Were there any kind of like particular influences for the hood and the face mask? Well, I, I was looking at, um, a lot of, uh, the the early design so so i i believe dc had commissioned a bunch of uh, comic artists in the 90s uh alongside when they were were figuring out batman too mm. um to to you know kind of come at robin you know how would you redesign robin mm -hmm. and um you, i think that that eventually ended up in you know the the uh, neil adams design that we saw for robin number one at, at, mm -hmm. uh, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, uh, uh, there were some designs that he did that that kind of led to that, and then uh, th you know th there was various other comic artists. I, um, I think Norm Brayfogle did a bunch of them as well. Okay. Um, yeah, it I, was. I just, it was uh, uh, a, you're right. Like a lot of them designed a bunch of stuff, and uh, it was ended up being Neil Adams who who nailed the Tim Drake design from mm -hmm, which right. all subsequent robins were cannibalized you know yep. from that design uh but it okay. but it was a little bit piece of trivia it was i think norm brayfogle who drew him first in a published book but it was uh, a neil design mm -hmm. okay that's cool thank you yeah um yeah so i i just have a, i'm actually looking at the folder right now i just have a, a folder for a bunch of the brayfogle and and adams uh, designs and I think they're all great. Um, uh, and I just kind of like, I, I, I personally, I couldn't see any of them being on screen. I couldn't imagine them on screen, mm -hmm. um, but there were, there were elements that I loved. And, and so like, I liked, you know, this scallop cape that Ray Fogel drew. I liked the reverse coloring that Adams did. Um, uh, there's a, a Ray Fogel drawing where he has Robin in the hood and that got me thinking about doing a hood instead. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that made me think about, um, I don't know if you guys watched the the uh, HBO Watchmen series that, that came yes. out a couple years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, the, 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 the cops with uh, the yellow bandana? Right. The color, yeah. yeah. So there, there's, oh, yeah. there's the main cop who has the black hood and then all the other cops who wear the yellow bandana over their face. Mm. And I found it so striking as I was watching it. And, and I think that just kind of planted in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, That's awesome. So all of that stuff kind of, you know, was kind of swarming around and then finally coalesced into the Robin drawing. Mm-hmm. I also, I just kind of thinking about that, I kind of like just did a freestyle drawing just in my sketchbook, um, uh, trying to just like keeping those like vague ideas in my head of like scallop cape, hood, mm-hmm. mask, um, you know, bird. <laughs> and uh, right right and right. and doing a very rough drawing because like tim burton would do all these these uh ahead of his the production of the two batman films he did these rough um mm-hmm. pen and ink drawings of uh batman joker for the first movie mm-hmm. and then you know batman and uh, catwoman and penguin for the second uh and they're just very very simple drawings but they they nail down the essence of those characters mm-hmm. uh so i wanted to try the same thing i i, I did it for two-faced and i did it for for Robin. And um, that was the first drawing I did of him. And I, I just kind of built from there. Um, and then I went through, you know, several like dozens of iterations of, you know, long cape, short cape, straight cape, scallop cape, uh, you know. Uh, I, I But the one thing I, I settled on early on is that I, I really liked the hood mm, idea. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And I, I didn't like the idea of a domino mask. Um, I, I, it was hard for me to, to visualize a, a, a hero wearing a domino mask in a, in a Tim Burton film. Mm. Um, it, just something about the, the design aesthetic of Batman that he established in the first movie is like, it, it is on purpose. I feel, I feel so far removed from the aesthetics of the comics. And then following that, the, the 60s show of of you know men wearing tights mm-hmm. um that I, I i don't know it's so it's so it's so linked to that the, the domino mask I, I i just couldn't i couldn't make the the leap uh, visually so uh it's interesting you almost went for the reverse because it's the yeah, eyes yeah. that are i was I, just thinking I, that. I, did. <laughs> I was thinking the same <laughs> thing and, and, and yeah, yeah exactly exactly were there a lot of conversations about what kind of weapons he'd have he's going to have size or nunchucks so you went with bow staff ultimately uh yeah i like the bow staff i i stole that from norm brayfogel there's some okay he did with, uh, him with a big collapsible uh bow staff cool and i just thought it was cool yeah I awesome. always thought the hood was a nod to like youth fashion too, you know, like a hoodie. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I could see that as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we I, did. I, I we I assumed that. I mean, I didn't suggest that, you know. And then also the general Robin Hood influence on the original character in the 1940s. You know, like I can see a bit of both of those things sort of coalescing in this version of it too, whether or not that was intentional. I do. I think we talked about that early on about yeah his fashion and um, and I wanted to uh, to kind of pay homage to the classic Robin look in mm-hmm. in the in the colors that he would wear. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where the cross colors jacket came from. 
um, oh. which the you know the sort of the leather multicolor jacket that was mm-hmm. popular in the early nineties. So clever! That was so yeah. clever. I, mm-hmm. You see why he's the best guy? Like that little touch. Like mm-hmm. if if you're if you're old enough to remember <laughs> those jackets, you know it fits so perfectly into the into the time period and and the world. And it's also something you can imagine in the Burton world as well. You know it works because mm-hmm. not not everything. Not everything would would work in there, but uh, you know, like Hard Rock Cafe T-shirts or whatever was popular back then. You know, it's like <laughs> you can't. It's not all going to work. But uh, if I could say something about the development of of Robin here is the the I think the initial idea was to just sort of amalgamize different Robins into a new Robin, but. Mm-hmm. The world building really made that not make sense anymore. The mechanic thing that Joe had uh, mentioned gave us the idea to make sort of Burnside and impoverished but formerly prosperous automotive sort of uh, section of town. You know, like a, mm-hmm. there was an industry there once, you know, yeah. and that was born out of the mechanic idea. And from there you get to the idea of the, well, what happened? And you get the, you know, Bruce's uh, great grandparents and things like that. Like it all sort of came out of there Mm -hmm. and it made, it made the, the, the further down that sort of road we went more and more, this Robin began to cast off other Robin's sort of concepts and become his own character. And mm-hmm. that's something that I, I'm uh, I'm very happy with. Like, I really feel like we created a new Robin, not just mm-hmm. a remix of other Robins. You know, I mean, right. we we borrowed the name, we borrowed the name Drake. You know, right. but uh, he, uh, you know, I I think about because as an editor, like you you're used to readers sort of asking questions and and feeling attached to things that. They're sometimes very ephemeral, like alternate versions of characters or uh, mm-hmm. characters who only appear once or twice or, or something like that. And I, mm-hmm. the more we got down to this, I started thinking about, you know, like this Robin is going to be some people's favorite Robin mm-hmm. for, for different reasons. And yeah. the more sort of singular he can be, the better. And uh, I never had that sort of like, editor spider sense for like this is a bad idea because one day someone's gonna like you know want this character who was only a throwaway character it was never meant to be anything but like no we we did a character who's not a throwaway character he's not just a remix or mm-hmm. uh, a race swapped robin you know he's like yeah. he's his own character and uh i uh i'm just very proud especially with the execution of his story in the book that the guys did mm-hmm. after i left i'm just I'm very happy with how all that fell together. Like he, mm-hmm. he really does not resemble any of them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the, in the, some the superficial. Equivalent, yeah, the closest equivalent is exactly where the source is from, which are those unmade scripts and from Batman Two, both right. Sam's and Daniel Waters's. Like that's the closest equivalent. There's not really a lot of other connections to other Robins outside of, you know, the aesthetics uh, of it, which you know, as as it should be. Uh, on it. I could very, you know, I don't know if you've been sent pictures of cosplayers in this, but I'd love to see cosplay of this. Oh, oh yeah. I, it's I only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah. 
Doesn't isn't there one scene in it where where Robin says to Batman, "Now you can join me on my fight." Yeah, or something like that. I thought that mm. was really good. I yeah, who had that in the story? But that was yeah, that was a really cool scene. I do remember that, and I think he said something like, "You know, you can be my sidekick" or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, something that, like that, which yeah. is cool reversal. Yeah, that that was also something we talked about. Like this, mm -hmm. Robin should not be um, someone who wants to be Robin, which is different than mm -hmm. all the other Robins. You know, uh, right? He he had something going on already, mm -hmm. and him and Batman were drawn together for uh, story reasons. You know, yeah. Um, and it wasn't uh, a hero worship kind of thing. You know. Um, and they don't, you know, and they come from very different worlds and they have, I think mm -hmm. they have legitimate, you know, disagreements with each other. Yeah, and it's less of a uh, hero sidekick and more of a crossover of two different heroes in Gotham. You're right, because you can imagine, mm -hmm. you can imagine a subsequent Batman story happening without Drake. Or you can imagine a subsequent Drake story happening without Batman. Mm -hmm. I think, right. you know, they're, sure. they're, they're sort of colleagues now and not a team. You know, mm -hmm. I think yeah. I think uh, I think Drake probably was given the, the cycle, you know, uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as a token of appreciation. But yeah, other than that, I think, you know, they it's I think he's a very different Robin in that way. And mm -hmm. it's it's sort of interesting that, you know, we've gone like 80 years of Robins and he's really the only one who's quite this dynamic with Batman. You know, mm -hmm. like, like this Batman is still more or less the classic Batman, you know, but in, he's through the, the prism of Burton and, and Sam, mm -hmm. but this guy is, is different. This guy is totally new. It's completely and I different think, Robin. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize it until we were really like well along. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I think we just created, we created a whole new Robin, mm -hmm. you know, and <laughs> uh, the, but... <laughs> There, there's not that many out. of them. Like, yeah. he, the intention was, it was all based on like trying to tell a story. There were no sort mm -hmm. of like, yeah, we're going to make a Robin and we're going to make a this and we're going to do a that. We're going to make all the mm -hmm. all these action figures, you know, like it wasn't like that. It just sort of, you know, when you step back and you realize like, oh shit, we did a really good job with this, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and it's not all the time you feel comfortable enough saying that, but I do about this, you know? I yeah. feel... I feel fine saying it. And, I, I uh, could totally see. I also can say that because I didn't have too much to do with the execution after the first <laughs> issue. I can say that so I can, you know. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that I could see an alternate 1995 world where like this is Marlon Wayans in this outfit and, you know, you've got it put it on like the front of variety being like, not your grandpa's Robin or that type of thing. And like, this is, this, you know, this is our, <laughs> our gritty reboot Robin in, you know, in the nineties. And I can see people being like, okay, now I get how they're going to bring this character into it. Whereas before they're just like, there's no way like, you know, cause they're going to, they're thinking Burt Ward mixed with Michael Keaton, which was never going to happen. It was always going to be, you know, Sam's interpretation, Tim or Tim Burton's interpretation of Marlon Wayans, you know, it was always going to be uh, through the lens of Burton and stuff and and now it's been brought to life and that's been fantastic so photoshoppers uh, so. we'd love to see your version of this magazine so just get to work <laughs> yes and, uh, get your submissions joe, in. joe, joe didn't marlon wayne's didn't marlon share this this yeah. image on instagram we shared out oh. last week actually the instagram his instagram post where he shared this and saying that he he wants to do something with this character i don't know what that would be but oh did. i missed that last week that's awesome 
Uh, I thought he did well, like, he, he put it last week. I, I, I put it. I sorry. I I put the I put it in our. Oh, you did last week. Our, okay. The, yeah. The post I has remember been around for a bit. Yeah, I remember him see, doing a yeah a, a year or so ago, posting mm. the cover. I think yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, was, that was awesome. That was great. That's great. Uh, so I love the airbrush take... effect on this on this oh. cover so much, Joe. I think it's so cool. <laughs> oh the, yeah, it's, it's great. The, the spray paint. Thanks. I love it. So. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to go over some of the Easter eggs, some of which I missed in my video essays. So we'll get right back at you after the break. Just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about retro gaming. It's a lot about Japanese to English translation in this first season. It will be 10 episodes each season. First season will be dropping soon, much sooner than I'm on a recon. The co-host for this one will be Mike Torres. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well. And we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, a.k.a. EGM. So stay tuned for that. So please be on the lookout for Gaming Gaiden podcast coming soon. Alan, in 15 seconds, what is Nice Games Club? It's our game dev podcast. Steven, help! Game mechanics, accessibility, art and animation, level design, prototyping. Everything that goes into making video games. How's that, Mark? Nice. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts or at nicegames.club. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast where two guys delve into the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and the impact it's had on pop culture. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The, the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. Or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's Shh. arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's... read Dune! You have... No, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. What's that? majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with the sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sale for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display armada. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favorite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of our most popular products like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan-favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest deals. Happy Holidays from HyperX. What exactly is a chicken wing on a string? 
And we are back, and we're going to discuss a lot of the Easter eggs that uh, I may have missed or haven't talked about yet in the video essay. So if you guys haven't checked it out yet, uh, I have a video per issue on all the different things I caught, but I did not catch everything. And I also didn't get to see everything, apparently, because one of the uh, designs that is featured in the hardcover uh, is what I've pulled up here, which is Selena Kyle. Uh, this is an unused design where she's in a dress that does harken back to Selina in the Cat and the Claw two-parter in uh, Batman the Animated Series. So I wanted to ask, um, where does this come in? Where is there going to be a plan to have sort of Selina sort of fit in with the, uh, you know, the Gotham social scene like in the Animated Series? Uh, you know, where does this come from? Uh, this is just my best guess. This is before we had really nailed any story down and mm. uh, we just knew she was going to be in it. And so I was just throwing darts at a wall. Um, nice. and, you know, and if it's if, if it sparked anything with Sam, then then we could figure something out. But mm. uh, but no. So uh, I did I did use the little uh, cat hairpin uh, when Selena shows up at uh, the GCPD. Mm -hmm. uh, and that dress actually shows up uh, in the final uh, couple pages of issue six, where it, in Bruce's dream sequence. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I think Leo uh, colored it a different palette, but it's, it's the same dress. Um, gotcha. I'm looking right now, actually, uh, at that page. It's the fantasy sequence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I see it. Oh, he almost went uh, closer to the uh, the colors in the cartoon. That's sort of um, yeah, actually, it's closer to the uh, sort of dark pinkish. Little he bit might of have just been trained to do that at that point because he just knew that <laughs> that's where <laughs> I kept I kept steering him. I kept sending him palettes for characters. Ah, like, uh, gotcha. So that works. Um, You've thrown in a lot of Easter eggs in these issues, which also gave me a lot of work to do per, uh, you know, video, a lot of editing. <laughs> when I'm like, I, I got to add this and this. Uh, but I thought uh, I would share a few things that I did not share in that, as well as give you the floor for anything that, um, you know, is commonly missed uh, among fans on Easter eggs. So one of the, a few other things that I missed that I, um, noticed in my latest reread was the fantasy scenario that Bruce proposes to Harvey where, uh, you know, it shows Harvey at, with a therapist who's using hypnosis on him, which of course is right out of the two-faced two-parter from the animated series. And then um, mm -hmm. next to your cameo is a picture of a woman in a red bikini and a yellow towel, which in the context of the story, we can presume is Barbara, which is only appropriate considering that it is an Easter egg for Yvonne Craig from Batman 66, just with the colors. Or Barbara's mom. That, or Barbara. Oh yeah, that's a good. Yeah. That's a good. Uh, oh, that's a, that's a whole. I other missed casting. that completely. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other casting. I'm just like, okay, wait. So <laughs> her mom is Yvonne Craig. <laughs> Joe, yes. Joe, that's brilliant. That's so brilliant. That is. It's also <laughs> extremely subtle, especially in a scene that is like hinting at Barbara's future anyway. So. Um, that was fantastic, the, but yeah. The palette uh, and a lot of the design of, of Barbara's apartment is taken from uh, Yvonne Craig's apartment in uh, the 66 show. So uh -huh. some of the patterning and nice. uh, some of the furniture, I think. I will um, have to take another look, yeah. but uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so I guess what are some other things that you noticed that fans have not um, 
have not caught on to. I know I, I did not catch on until you revealed it into one episode. The whole uh, Catwoman's eight stitches represent the eight lives that she had previously oh, lost yeah. before the story. Like I was like, there's no way I would have caught on to that. Uh, so I didn't. I didn't get that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> it's on the character design. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh boy, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I, you guys are so thorough in your videos. Oh, that'll just be a compliment to me then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, it... I don't think anyone caught um, uh, uh, in issue five. Uh, it's a it's a homage to a Norm Gray Fogel Batman cover. Um, the the last shot of Batman. After Harvey shoots uh, the commissioner, uh, uh, Batman says, it matters to me. And he turns around and Batman is there. Uh, yeah, that's, oh. that's homage to a, a famous Norm Brayfogle Batman cover. I think the I Detective recognize Comics. Yeah. Um, I just have always loved it. And uh, Andy, actually, I think you sent me, uh, at some point you sent me, there was like a, a, a custom a custom paint job or a Photoshop of of a Norm Brayfogle Batman black and white uh, maquette, where it was like repainted to be the Batman uh, 89 colors. So just all black basically. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, he sent it, Andy sent it to me and immediately I followed away. I was like, that's cool. I want to use that. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, did, did people get that the Two-Face suit looks like Beetlejuice? I was just thinking uh, the animated series with the black and white, but because I thought I thought it was Beetlejuice because of the Burton connection. I I was doing a little bit of both, yeah. I, I mean, I I didn't want to do it as direct as it just being Beetlejuice, so I add the uh, I added two stripes. There's a thick and thin. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's meant to be. That's the the Tim Burton connection there. Uh, I've also read somebody feel like the suit and the white hair is almost resembling a bit of Max Shrek. I don't know if that's deliberate mm. either. Yeah, a little bit there. I, I also looked at some of uh, some of his fashion from Returns. Mm -hmm. Some of those like those those you know uh big wide uh uh collar uh, suits with the big bold stripes. Yeah I can see that you know it's the fashion of the uh you know the the powerful people in this city type of thing. So like that's right. definitely I could definitely see that connection. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through to see if there's anything that stands out. The uh, garage at Wayne Manor looks like uh, the garage from Batman Forever, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is, yes. Yeah, right down to the Yes, you're right. Yeah, I don't think anyone noticed that either. Um, I put that in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good, good. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the masks that are, that, uh, that Harvey's gang are Ooh, wearing. Yes. Are, uh, they're Halloween masks, but they're based on old, uh, like movie monsters, like uh, Phantom of the Opera, like Lon Chaney's. Um, the, oh like, yeah, and as well as the, the the Weber musical as well, and one of them I'm seeing. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, awesome. I don't think she's named, but I think the news reporter is meant to be Summer Gleason, isn't she? Yes, that's what I thought too. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's how Sam would refer to her in the scripts, but yeah, she's never named. Gotcha. Uh, there's a lot 
of uh, Easter eggs on the Happy Halloween splash page in the first issue. Oh um, yeah. You know. I, I oh, think yeah, it's. Yeah. I took an hour editing. That's that part. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do the first essay. I'm like, ah, all right, here we go. <laughs> I really front loaded with the uh, the first issue. Mm -hmm. Um, let me see. It really was that page that inspired me to to start doing those. Where I'm just like, I I can't wait for us to do a full episode of on all six issues. I got to do something now on this because it was uh, just mm -hmm. it was too rich. Joe is just uh, so he's so aware and studies all the sort of i don't know what the word is like the ephemera around the films like the merchandising art the action figures you know even like behind the scenes photos and things like that like mm -hmm. things that i think you know if we saw them we'd say like oh i remember seeing that when i was a kid or i had the movie book or something the, the behind the scenes book but like it's it's in the forefront of his mind mm -hmm. and it's <laughs> it's one of those things like I don't know. I don't know why this is a thing, but sometimes when your friends are like super talented, you're just like, "Fuck that guy," <laughs> <laughs> you know. I've been there. I have been. That's there. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, I'm, look, so I'm looking through the book now, and I'm trying to yeah. find stuff that maybe people didn't catch. But yeah, no, there's yeah. there's definitely it's very rich in all these. Joe, oh, did, did you, you have catch, a? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. On. There's a, a shout out to, uh, I think, a production photo from Batman Returns. I'm not sure if you caught this one, uh, but it's when uh, Selena and Bruce are in the mansion in issue five, and they stop to talk in front of a portrait of, of, of uh, Bruce's parents. Uh, uh, it was kind of a cheat because you had tweeted that before I, oh, I? actually, oh, okay. <laughs> I had actually yes. finished uh, the prep for that. So I'm just like, well, I'm just going to put that in. <laughs> A, produ a production photo of of, uh, of Catwoman and Batman on the rooftop in front of the that window mm -hmm. uh, from the scene in Batman Returns. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like a, di a direct call call back to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, here's one. There's uh, I I don't think I actually called this out online, uh, but they're on page nine of issue six when when. Uh, uh, when Harvey uh, uh, kills his surrogate dad, um, yeah, that composition of, of of you know the mouth open and holding the gun perfectly uh, covering his eye is a uh, from a uh, either a foreign or unused uh, Mars Attacks movie poster that uh, oh, wow. I just happened to find, and uh, I just I was so smitten that I could use it so. Joe, was there a model for Dr. Quinzel in this? Dr. Q, rather? I assumed that was Madonna. It was Madonna, yeah. It was Madonna! <laughs> yeah, because yeah. she was uh, apparently yeah. considered uh, for the, the Harley Quinn for the Unmade Batman Unchained movie. Very, very smart. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'm looking at her again now. Let's see. <laughs> Yeah, I so, can see it now. Uh, Joe, I know we're uh, short on time with you, but I I know that Andy previously said, you don't know if there's going to be continuation. We've already asked this to Sam. I might as well take the opportunity to ask you again. Will there be any more of the Batman 89 comic series? Uh, I, I can either confirm or deny. Uh, 
<laughs> Perfect. Well, there we have this it. Is not denied. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then, uh, before you go, uh, anything, obviously besides this comic, uh, that you'd like to plug before you go, I know that you have a, a book that you released recently as well. I, I do. Uh, the art, art book. Joe Quinones. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's going like, on? I'm pretty Where sure I? that's you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. Yes, actually. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's sold out. I'm, I'm putting in another, another order for them. Uh, oh, that's this awesome. Week. So if anyone's interested in an art book of uh, various drawings of mine and sketches and, and um, uh, kind of pre-production uh, drawings, character designs, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. you can find it through my website. So just uh, my name.com. And nice. Joe, is there any original art from Batman 89 still available where people can find and, and buy? Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Especially <laughs> 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 our audience. <laughs> also available through my website. Just go to the store link and you'll see uh, there's two different links. There's one to uh, just sort of my merch store where you can find the sketchbook and then went to my original art store and uh, all my Batman 89 stuff is there and there's more coming actually. I, I don't think he's put up uh, the last couple issues yet or, gotcha. or some of the latter covers, but there's a lot of stuff up there and, and more is going up. Mm. Cool. cool. <laughs> uh, anything else you'd like to say to uh, the fans of this comic? Uh, thanks for reading, guys. I, I, I uh, I've heard that uh, that readership has been very high uh, on, in each issue, and and for the the collected graphic novel, and it, it really means so much to me. I feel like, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you know, from the start of this, from from the from the very start of this in 2015 to 2020, getting the email from Andy, uh, you know, I I have perpetually felt like you know, I don't want to jinx this. This is, this seems too perfect. I feel like mm. this is too perfect to actually happen. Um, and, and somehow it did, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy uh, in the, the meme photo, uh, you know, at the tiniest domino and, you know, they're just <laughs> expanding out to the mm. hardcover with the VHS, the perfect VHS cover uh, mm. on the inside jacket. And, uh, and, and somehow that was my life. So I, I'm, grateful to uh to andy for thinking of me and, and andrew and all you guys for reading it's, uh, it's awesome dream, man. dream come awesome. true it really is a gift you guys have really given us a gift uh as fans for this so thank you on behalf of you know not just you know andrew and me but also from our fans and the other people who have you know watched our stuff like this thank you for this gift that has continued you know a, a this character who we never thought we would see a continuation of it's great fun. I I I, yeah. I I still have to pinch myself that I had any part in it because, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, like you, I always I would dream about this. You know, since mm -hmm. I was a kid, I'm like, oh, what could have been? Mm -hmm. uh, and to to have my name on that in in any degree is uh, is staggering. So I'm, I'm, I'm well, humbled by it. It's really just a twist of fate that this was allowed to happen when it did. Mm -hmm. But it was it was Joe's talent. And also just, you know, I'm sure you can tell just from talking to him for a while, his character, he's the kind of guy who people want to work with and respect so much. So mm -hmm. 
uh, he really set himself up to avail himself of this opportunity when it came down the road. You know, it mm -hmm. was, it's, it's, uh, even if it wasn't Andrew and I editing this book, I think, I think Joe would have always done it if it was ever mm -hmm. going to happen well, in his lifetime as a professional, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, mm -hmm. I think he's sort of the heart of this book and, and this team. And uh, I'm mm -hmm. just, you know, I'm, I'm as proud of this as anything I've ever worked on. Thank you, Joe. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Joe. Well, well awesome. thanks, guys. Uh, yep. I'm going to get some sleep. Yes. Okay, man. Please Thank do. You. I'll, I'll watch Andy's part. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, later. yeah. We'll we'll stay on with Andy with a couple questions we have, and then, uh, but yeah, thank you. All right, thanks, man. Cheers, guys. Take care. See you later, man. Bye. <laughs> All right. On to the All next right, part. continuing forward, I guess. So, yeah, yep. a, a lot of the fans were curious about the delays in between the issues this year. Could you guys speak on to what led to? these delays Actually, i realized i made a mistake <laughs> we made should have asked joe because i realized uh, andrew you you said that you were off after the first issue i think oh, yeah joe, i think joe got covid mm. um, okay i hope that's not revealing any personal medical information i, I remember but, uh, he publicly revealed that on yeah, social media uh that okay. probably happened um you know which happens to a lot of people on a lot of comics um, <laughs> yeah yeah it was a, it was a pandemic <laughs> yeah yes it was everywhere <laughs> yeah okay uh, right. I had to record a few ish, uh, episodes with me <laughs> under COVID. Yeah, and, uh, just recently, uh, last couple. So uh, yeah, it's it's hit everybody. That was your round two of COVID, right? Yep. Yeah, I've only gotten it once myself uh, so far. Knock on wood. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so um, all right. So it was COVID. Um, next question is. Uh, even though he was Joel Schumacher's choice for the Riddler for Batman Forever, a lot of fans associate Robin Williams with a Tim Burton-style Riddler. Was that ever something you considered for this comic? That's a good question. I honestly don't remember us talking about the Riddler at all. Okay. Um, but within the sort of rules that we established, we could have done something with the Riddler because we were only treating the Burton films as canon. Mm -hmm. So yeah. every, everything that happened in the Burton films happened. And we can't contradict anything from it. Like no characters come back to life or... or we can't uh, bring back any... Joker or Penguin. Right. Nothing like that. And all mm -hmm. those things happened. Like Batman remembers all those things happening. Mm -hmm. So... But, <laughs> yeah. No amnesia. So, right. So... Uh, <laughs> and the city remembers those things happening. So... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But by those rules... We could have done something with the Riddler, but honestly, I'm I don't think we talked about it at all. I think we we were all really zeroed in on Harvey from the from the start. And mm -hmm. um because uh there was just that unfulfilled promise of Harvey from the first film, you know. Mm -hmm. And if it, it felt like we really that was as fans, that's what we wanted. And we also thought there was a story to tell that I think felt relevant to that moment. Uh, because if you remember. 2020 when the book was being created and coming out was you know the biggest you know civil rights uh mm -hmm. protest i think in american history or one mm -hmm. of them anyway just like across like through the whole summer you mm -hmm. know it wasn't just one thing so the themes that sort of organically came out of world building working backwards from the mechanic and working backwards from from billy d williams like you know very naturally like 
sort of uh, created a world for the story to take place in. And I don't think the Riddler ever came up. Mm -hmm. um, but I did know, I do remember now that Robin Williams was connected to that. I don't, I, I don't know that it was so, you know, connected that we would have gone in that direction with it. Like Billy D was in the movie. You yeah, know, like we yeah have, exactly. Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer's in returns. Like it's, right. at that point, you already have your villains. You don't need like Riddler at that point. Right. But like what I mean is like, I don't know if we had put Riddler in the book, it would be a Robin Williams inspired Riddler. Mm. You know, too, because yeah. he wasn't he wasn't in the movie. Right. So I think we probably would have created our own version. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. It's honestly didn't come up. Not that I recall, but it's a good okay. question. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, All definitely. Right. Yeah, we were definitely curious uh, about if that was uh, something that is considered because of how popular that idea is. And we we have, uh, you know, our last guests are fans who kind of had created their own Burton verse comic before this was even announced that, you know, played around with the idea of the Robin Williams Riddler. Oh, uh, I didn't know. Um, but, you know, it's it's their own, you know, take on stuff. And obviously, you know, they didn't know this was happening. So it's kind of cool to see like, oh, they naturally took a direction that was different than what this comic took anyway. So now it's kind of like, well, if you want an alternate version of, you know, another continuation, you can check out them. And then if you want to check out the Harvey Dent stuff, you can check out this one. Like it's, it, it yeah. all fits together. Well, um, uh, ours fits more than others. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I yeah, yeah. actually, but I, uh, For sure. I actually, you know, when you heard, when you heard today, if any of you watching this are aspiring comic book creators, especially artists, what you heard Joe, mm -hmm explain in a very drawn out way was doing fan art works you know mm, yeah um mm. get your stuff out there get your visions of characters out there and uh you know editors are online like they're looking for talent you know mm -hmm. there, there aren't enough books to put everybody on that's just there's never going to be enough jobs but sure. i can I, I can't even tell you how many people i noticed because they had done a character i was working on I was like, that's a great version of that character. <laughs> and I remember them. And I write them down. I put them in a folder and you never know. So, uh, you know, I'm all for fan comics and fan art for sure. Nice. That's awesome. Well, right, my cat just knocked everything over. Uh-oh, a cameo from Alfie? this cat for once. I mentioned earlier when we were recording that we, I think we knew early on that we were going to kill Gordon. Do you want to hear yeah, about that? I was going to follow up with that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. mm -hmm. uh, I remember thinking, because I was studying the films, and I remember thinking, like, they really didn't do anything with Mr. Gordon in those, <laughs> no. in those Burton films. <laughs> Thanks for saving the day, Batman. <laughs> yeah. Collect my checks. <laughs> and I thought, well, we could, we could try to build up Gordon or we could actually make his character have some sort of pathos effect on everybody else if we killed him, mm -hmm. you know? Because I think they've already gone two movies with this guy and we don't really care, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe we can use him for this sort of utilitarian drama purpose. And, and by, by having him killed, we can make Harvey more of a villain we can have Batman have a reaction. And if we do this Barbara thing, which we were still toying with at the time, mm -hmm. then we can create an arc for Barbara that maybe even can continue one day. You know, mm -hmm. like we, we didn't know, but you know, we certain things like you just see like, oh, that's 
something that could be followed up on one day, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I think that is, I could be wrong. I think making Barbara a cop was my idea because I Mm -hmm. liked the idea that she was in charge of the Batman research because she was a librarian in her history and her mythology. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. so we didn't want to make her like a gun shooting, like SWAT type of cop or detective, you know, like, Mm -hmm. It also fits in with Batman Beyond, you know, with like she eventually takes his place. So that's right. That felt organic to me, too. That's what I was thinking as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, That wasn't on my mind, but I'm sure it might have been in my subconscious. Um, So I know all that (laughs) stuff really well, too. Uh, So I think there was this idea that, you know, he and her dad didn't see eye to eye about Batman. And that was Mm -hmm. a way to create some drama, you know, Mm -hmm. so. uh, that was only one of the few beats I think we had early on that we were all sort of excited about doing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. all, they, it really does fit together when it's just like, okay, it is Harvey with Barbara, but it's not like the traditional version where you're just like, well, Barbara's like so young and stuff. Like, well, no, this is a different version. She's an adult. And, you know, now we have this sort of conflict <laughs> uh, among like that, them as a couple, as well as her and her father. And I'm like, okay, this is a dynamic I wasn't expecting, but like it really makes sense in this context of the story. Um, and then in terms of Gordon's death, I mean, when I got, you know, it was a shocker for sure. But then, you know, in thinking about it, it really does enhance the stakes, the personal stakes um, of, you know, what Two Face is, is doing and the fact that he's even further down, you know, down the dark road at that point. You know, as he says, and as you brought up, like he didn't even flip the coin when like your stuff is bullshit, uh, like you said. So like it really does enhance that. And then there's also the sense, you know, I think some people are reading this being like, okay, this is to fill in the gap between returns and, you know, whenever Keaton shows up again in the flash, Pat Hingle, unfortunately passed away years ago. So like, he's never going to reprise this role ever. Like you could shut the door safely on that. Marlon Wayans, according to Instagram is still interested in whatever scenario of him uh, fulfilling (laughs) the role of being a, you know, Robin Nightwing type character in the future. So like that door could potentially still be open. Willow D. Williams is still with us, could voice the character again, like he did in Lego Batman, but like Pat Hingle's not around anyway. So like, to me, like the door closing on this version of Gordon made a lot of sense, uh, especially with the conflict that's set up with the story. So like that, that for sure, like uh, I appreciated more when, um, when I got to that and was thinking over how everything was fitting together. I'm glad you agree. Uh, you know, killing a character is always uh, tricky, but one mm. of the things that this being sort of like, a, as you say, an alternate version of Batman frees you in some ways, you know, you mm-hmm. can do things that um, you couldn't do in a, even if you were doing sort of an out of continuity, black label thing, like killing Gordon mm. is still, you know, there's it's it's a complicated decision, but the cool thing about the movie universe is that it comes with sort of the rules of live action. So a character's mm-hmm. dead, they're dead. You know, yeah. they're they're not coming back. Mm-hmm. And so it, I think readers of Batman eighty nine maybe felt even though the this version of Gordon wasn't, you know, a very involved character involved in the story and involved with Batman in terms of their relationship. That's something where where a death can actually have some genuine shock, some mm-hmm. genuine sadness, especially if you establish 
the other characters well, which I think they did very much. Like, yeah, we, uh, you know, I say they because they executed that storyline. Like, I helped conceive it and construct it, but they they took it. You know, they actually built the railroad. You know, mm. they did they did that, and I did it in a way that surprised me too. Because by the time I got to there, in in my reading of it. Gordon, by that point, they had actually done a pretty good job of building him up as a character. Mm -hmm. um, so you felt it even more, I think, because like, as I mentioned, it, my idea was sort of utilitarian. It was like, if we kill Gordon, we get this is what we get out of it. Right. But but they they still got that. But they also made you, I think, care quite a bit more than I think. I think in my head, it might have taken place earlier in the story. Uh, mm. But the way they did it, I think, was very, very good. It's and really I, uh, the addition of Barbara. It, that that really helps sell that. If without that father daughter dynamic, I think it's it's less of a sting, because as you said, we like we barely know this guy from the other two movies. It, it's really when like the relationship is established with his daughter, and he has that scene with her later on, and we kind of know what he means to the people involved. That the and also just the fact it's Commissioner Gordon. Like there's a significance to him, even if it is, uh, you know, an alternate, you know, universe from the main canon. There's still okay. a, a gravity to the situation if you're going to kill that character right. off. And you know he's not coming back because yeah. we inherit, even though it's a comic book, and I think mm -hmm. we use the comic book language in ways that the movies can't, it still has the rules of the movies, mm -hmm. I think, for the most part. Like, even even the physics of the movies, uh, even the, not to say that the physics of the movies are real, but they have their sort of, they have their sort of nature that I don't think we broke too much in the comic like that mm -hmm. was something we also talked about like we didn't want this to be like another batman comic where he's doing just unbelievably cool impossible things we still had to make it feel like michael keaton could conceivably do these things mm -hmm. in the world of the film you yeah know? that's that's the kind of fidelity we were interested in for sure for sure awesome cool well are we exhausted? Coming on, I yeah. Exhausted. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Is there another question?" I'm sure. On to the on to the final one. I mean. Um, oh yes. yeah. Anything you'd like to plug before we go? Yeah. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Any plugs? Uh. Well. Um. We just finished. Uh, Curse of the Black. Sorry, Sins of the Black Flamingo, which is the image book I'm editing by nice. uh, Andrew Wheeler and Travis Moore, who. Batman fans might know from his work on Nightwing and and other things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. That's sort of a neo-noir Miami occult uh, crime book where awesome. uh, there's a there's sort of a cat burglar who uh, who operates within the Miami supernatural scene and steals something very very dangerous that draws in all the sort of colorful characters that you might imagine in that kind of world. Mm -hmm. after after him uh that's my first book as an image comics uh editor i'm really happy with it and uh, there'll be more coming and uh if you go to andycorey.com you can see a complete bibliography of all my dc books and links to buy them on amazon and comic stores and uh i'm just really really super proud of that work and uh batman 89 is of course a real batman 89 was the last thing i worked on on my way out the door and uh so it's you know i'm always happy to talk about it i'm so grateful for you guys' enthusiasm about our work and for the films and just you know putting 
it's it's been 30 plus years since that movie came out and we're still learning about it and learning from mm -hmm. it and it's just uh it's just a great it's just a great great thing and like i said it's it's only just a twist of fate that i'm here talking about it so i've um mm -hmm. I'm I'm very grateful to it and grateful again to Andrew Marino for letting me work with it, work with him on it. And uh, I hope you guys could talk to him one day too, because he's a very smart storyteller and a great guy. And uh, sure. he's, uh, I'm sure he, yeah. he'll have some other things to say because he was, <laughs> uh, I left, I left the company after working on the first issue after mm -hmm. developing it for a few months. And then uh, he took the thing with Joe and Sam to the finish line. So he probably has other insights. Well, I know he has other insights into the production mm -hmm. of the book that I don't. So I'm sure there's more content you guys can can extract from this book. Yes, um, yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean I don't mean that in in a but well, I don't mean that in the sort of like, you know, greedy youtuber way i mean that in oh well <laughs> there's there's so much there's there's a lot more fun to have talking about this stuff there's no, so much sure, love for sure this so much a, love right, in it right, it's for sure. sure a passion project of ours to to bring these videos off and and we can see that in the fans too like they if you just look at the numbers and anytime we cover anything related to the burton batman that's where a lot of our fans well, on youtube come to watch well so. i'm really grateful to all of you uh readers out there for buying it it's just been uh i mean i don't benefit financially from from the sales of editors don't do that but it's uh you, you do things that you want as many people if you're proud of them you want as many people as possible to read them mm -hmm. so uh, i'm really grateful to all of you and we did it you know as as you and mm -hmm. uh i'm so i'm so grateful for i haven't heard anything anything bad about it like almost every day someone says something nice about them in 89 so that's uh, awesome. Thanks again. I'm just so pleased with it, and I'm very grateful to be asked to talk about it. This is the first time anyone has interviewed me about it. So. Oh. Oh I'm, wow. Uh, okay. Glad to be the first. That's yeah. cool. And uh, uh, if you got, if you guys ever have any like questions, just shoot me a DM, and I'll I'll, I'll sure. tell you if I can answer it. You know for sure. Fantastic. And, you know that goes to the for the you know viewers too or listeners too. If you guys mm -hmm. ever have any questions about Batman Nine or whatever, just tweet me at Andy Corey mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, if I can, I'll tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. As I said before, Joe dropped off. Like, thank you for this gift. Like, thank you for giving, you know, being a, a huge, huge part, being instrumental in in bringing this to us. And, and, you know, this is clearly a big, you know, passion for you. You're not just like plugging a book to get money out of it. As you said, like, this is, you, know, you weren't even part of, you know, the other issues because you left the company, but you're you're still here to share the passion with us as as fans and, and we greatly appreciate that yes thank you thanks guys yep. have a great night big thanks to our research assistant dan for gathering the visuals for the youtube experience and we're going to move on to the fan comments starting with cosmic wing who commented on one of our older episodes on the spider suits zach this is for you he has a corrections department for you you failed us <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Zach, you suck. This is why you're not on the show anymore. So, <laughs> it's not about your kid. This has nothing to do with that. It's kid. about this kind of shit. <laughs> he says, uh, 4944, that guy is a cosplayer, not from the set of Spider-Man 2, but from the premiere of the movie. And uh, Dan verified this by finding pictures uh, of this cosplayer at the premiere. Uh, so if you're looking at the YouTube version, this is a cosplayer in the Alex Ross looking suit. Uh, that uh, was at the Spider-Man 2 premiere. 
Uh, Cosmic Wing also says, and 5701 is incorrect in terms of the claim that Spider-Man has organic web shooters in Ultimate Ultimate Spider-Man. He still creates web shooters in Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, thank you, Cosmic Wing, for setting the record straight. Uh, Dan also found other information on this cosplayer. So uh, <laughs> it is a movie-inspired suit uh, from a cosplayer, and David Williams is the original designer of the quote-unquote Alex Ross suit. He created the original design for the suit a cosplayer uh which was then redefined by ross williams is seen wearing the suit in the photos above so it seems like this is not actually the alex ross design it is the david williams design so shout out to the original artist there for that that is a major deep dive into spider-man right there awesome thank you dan for the research on that uh slight rebellion off madison commented on our two-face episode saying between this episode and the batman 89 comic i've reversed my stance on billy d i would have totally been down with him as two-face uh so you know a lot of people do kind of think like lando as two-face i don't know if i could see that ultimately but it's it's the non-lando filmography really that that highlights the range there so slight uh slight rebellion included i'm including a clip of him in 1981's nighthawks that shows his intensity as an actor granted it's not as intense as richard mole's version in the animated series but i think it gives you an idea of how he would play two-face uh and he included the uh youtube link which i did see i've not unfortunately i've not had a chance to see nighthawks but uh, from the clip that uh, you've attached that's also another good example it's basically it's, it's billy d being more bad cop than stallone in this uh mm -hmm. in this scene so uh, finally, I still can't figure out why the Bruce Harvey scene from Ham's original script was deleted. And instead, we got those two bland, boring scenes of Harvey and the mayor. It really feels like they were just winging it each day on that set. Well, you know, you had Warren Scarin with his typewriter and the whiskey and the cigar in his, his mouth going, God Co damn it. Cocaine. And coke is coming down his nose. <laughs> like a Scarface or something. <laughs> this is our image of Scarab, by the way. That's not what, as far as we know, that's not what he really was. It seems I like want it was, to be true. <laughs> we want it to be true, but he, it's by all accounts, it just seems like he was just a nice guy. <laughs> but yeah. who knows? Uh, you want to get nuts? <laughs> Let us get nuts. Perfect. <laughs> Give it to Mike. <laughs> clickety clack, clickety clack. He has the old typewriter on set. This is the this is eighty nine, right? Yes. <laughs> you know brings out the paper there you go tim <laughs> i love the, it he's doing the two finger typing thing he's like oh, right capital l e t apostrophe yeah. s he's like elroy jetson doing the just the one the, the index fingers space bar n u t s exclamation mark there we go <laughs> so. i've made my mark on pop culture uh, French Lover 3000 commented on our concept art, unused concept art of the Batman. Hey, fellas, great work as usual. You guys talking about Batman's arc about becoming a symbol of hope instead of vengeance gave me an idea for a potential story for the Batman, too. Since Batman decided at the end of the first one to do more than just dishing out punishment on a bunch of fools, I think the logical next step would be for Batman to try to actually help rehabilitate some of the criminals. And you know which villain would be a great choice? None other than Mr. Freeze. Especially if they go the same route with the character as the classic Heart of Ice episode from BTAS. But what do I know? I'm not a professional Hollywood screenwriter, but just a possible direction Matt Reeves and company could go. You know, uh, a lot of people don't like to acknowledge this, but Mr. Freeze in Batman and Robin is, I think, the only Batman villain on screen to be rehabilitated by Batman on screen. So, right. Uh, we, we, you know, we've seen a form of it, but I'd like to see, you know, the Pattinson Reeves version of this for sure. 
So everyone thinks it's going to be freeze, man. And they're probably right. I just, it just feels like that's the it's, move, right? I, please, Mr. Freeze, not hush. Yeah. Yeah. Please. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, another great comment. Thank you. Thank you. French lover 3000 on to the shout outs. Oh man. All right. So we want to thank everybody up here on the board, uh, including um, some of our newer people, such as Kevin R, Derek O, Mark M, Carter, and Renee V. Uh, thank you again. And uh, I think some people are coming back uh, from a break from the Patreon. That's what it looks Indeed. like to me. Yes. <laughs> I, know, uh, I know these names. Yes, it, it does show. Hey, you know, for those who were part of it, we do say cancel anytime, but we've noticed a lot of you guys do come back, which is, you know, we'd like to think is a testament to the content we have there for you guys. Indeed. And uh, our, we want to thank our other supporters as well. Um, to get up on that there board, you want to do the uh, $1 tier that gets you the shout out, uh, go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And then the $5 tier gets you a whole other show. This show is free on Mondays. $5 tier is $5 a month every Friday, deeper dives and the mm -hmm. whatnots uh, <laughs> on yes. there. And then uh, the $10 tier gets you all of that plus a monthly meetup live show uh, where you can join us in a Zoom-esque call. And, uh, yeah, that's $10, uh, usually at the end of the month and you can join us and we have like a conversation and, uh, a topic at hand and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Patreon.com slash super house or superhero stuff pod and our superhero stuff merch, uh, red bubble and threadless. So mm -hmm. check, check that out. Um, so, uh, yeah, some, we still have stuff there. Some of it's not there anymore. But anyway, <laughs> this is funny every week. Um, so yes. ben, Man, merch. Ben, ben Man, indeed, Wizard Zacula. If you know who Zacula is anymore, sad, but he's gone. <laughs> anyway, artwork by Steph and Santa Cruz. Uh, please send us some audio to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf lives on YouTube as my other channel. One of my other channels. I got a lot going on. Mm -hmm. uh, Thunderwolfdrew.com is my portfolio. Uh, AmanoRecon.com. That is A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. This awesome poster, ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com. This Indeed. is an R-rated Power Rangers meets stranger things uh idea um it's not a fan film i that's just a quick pitch it's not a power rangers fan film but um if you see it you'll know what i'm talking about so we have a four it's an indiegogo campaign and it's going on right now link in the description please donate if you don't if you can't donate perfectly fine but if you could share it that'd be awesome as well <laughs> uh, share out our link do an instagram stories or Put it on your Twitter or your Facebook or something like that. Um, that would be awesome. Um, you'll see um, I, new info. I, I can give you some new info. There's there is uh, a little bit of the alien abduction movie Fire in the Sky. Uh, if that came out in like the early to mid '90s or something, that's based on a true account. So there's there's an alien abduction story in this as well. Men in Black was also kind of a uh, influence on this. You can see our our villains in, in this are, are men in black. They're evil men in black. So mm -hmm. um, try to give out a little bit different info every time I talk about this. So uh, that's it. AmanoRecon.com. A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. 
please check it out and check out the Indiegogo campaign going on right now. And then mm-hmm. the last thing I can need to talk about is Gaming Guide. And it's a podcast about gaming, uh, video game translators. And if you've ever been interested in how a game makes it from Japan to the rest of the world, you know, if, if it wasn't for these guys, a lot of these games would stay in Japan. Of course, there's American developers. We're not talking about them. But like mm-hmm. Street Fighter and like every Japanese game ever, without these guys, it would it would stay in the country. So mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it's they do us a service. So uh, we do a deep dive with them and uh, interviews with them and what's, what's that job like. And um, we also have interviews with, uh, electronic gaming monthly magazine writers. If you're an old school nineties gamer, you'll know what I'm talking about, but anyway, that's it, Ben. Uh, shout out to comic capital on Instagram, as well as the everything entertainment club on clubhouse for your support. Uh, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse pod, which is how we contacted both Joe Quinones and Andy Corey, uh, on Instagram, superhero stuff, pod, uh, TikTok, superhero stuff, pod, Vero superhero stuff, pod, my website is benwanrider.com, where you can read a whole variety of different scripts, including Gotham Vampire, a Gotham script where young Bruce faces off against the Golden Age villain, the Mad Monk, as well as my spec script for Elementary called The Death of Sherlock Holmes, a modern update on the classic story, The Adventure of the Dying Detective, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland, the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode they could never make, where Larry goes to Disneyland and hates it. Uh, my YouTube channel is in the description below, where you can also check out Doctor Who, The Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, narrate, and edit. The Eighth Doctor meets Miyamoto Musashi in ancient Japan. Uh, my personal Instagram is Ben Juan Ryder. My son, who did have a cameo in this because he, he <laughs> destroyed things on his way over to talk to me. The fruit uh, of your loom. The fruit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alfie Pennyworth cat. <laughs> Orange yes. and white cat. Alfie Pennyworth cat who dresses up in a bow tie every now and then. He wore it a lot recently for Halloween. So, well, you have uh, to be yes. formal every now and again, of course. Yes. Obviously, yes, of course, especially yeah. when guests are over. <laughs> yes, he, exactly. he does yes. not do any cleaning. Though. Oh, Lord, you have you can't be in a, you know in shambles <laughs> whenever your uh, guests are over for yes. sure. Yes, and occasionally his bow tie is backwards, but you know that's not always his fault. <laughs> Actually, it is his fault, but still, <laughs> he is a cat. He is a cat. And if you have After a cat all. too, then you can get the whisker box, the only cat box with the crazy cat lady and gent. And if you don't have a cat, but you have a dog instead, like Andy Corey did, if you saw in his background, then uh, you can get uh, the bark box. Give your dog Woo! exactly what they want with the bark box. You can get the first month off free valued at $35 with our promo link, which you can find at superhero stuff slash shop, where you can get all sorts of shit, including a Keaton Batman Funko for yourself. Uh, and uh, if you're less interested in that and more interested in more deep dive type stuff, we also have superhero stuffpod.com slash show notes, where we have all sorts of links to different things that we reference throughout the show, all our different sources. Yeah. So we're not just talking out of our asses uh, on this. We have legitimate stuff unless we actually say that uh, we're joking around like we did about Warren Scarrett and his typewriter and his Coke nose. Uh, that does not have a legitimate source. That's just us fucking around. But <laughs> actual I hope we don't start an internet rumor with that shit. Is he still alive? Is no, he died alive? shortly after 89. Okay. Oh, short, <laughs> shortly after? Pretty shortly after. Oh, no. It wasn't a heart attack, was it? Hopefully it wasn't due to Coke. No, I don't think it was due to those things. Oh, no. Um, but, okay. Uh, we sorry. don't know. We don't know. Rest internet. in peace, Warren Scarrett. Uh, 
But um, <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, a lot of that stuff is over at show notes. Or if you're curious about some of these older episodes that we might refer to in this, check out the show notes. All that stuff is there over at superherostuffpod.com slash show notes. And with that, that is the end of our show. And we want you to do us a favor. We want you to tell all your friends about us. listening to the Geekscape Network.